we're starting a new series today on relationships, uh, not just relationships in general, particularly we're going to talk about difficult relationships for the month of April and May. And so I want to encourage you today, this will be the first message in this series, but we're looking at difficult relationships that you and I have, all of us have relationships like that, all of us encounter people that we find difficult, and how do we handle those things in a way that honors the Lord um, we're going to focus on that. This morning, our title of our message is Wisdom for Your Worst Relationships. And this is the opening salvo of this study, Wisdom for Your Worst Relationships. You may remember, if you've been a Christian for a while, Romans 8, 28 is a verse that we share with one another a lot. Um, the way I would say it, I would say it this way. Um, we know that all things work for good to those who are loving God. And the only way things can work together for good is if God has his hand on our circumstances and everything that happens to us and that God is at work in those circumstances. And one of the things that's really obvious as you and I pick up the Bible and we begin to read the Old Testament and the New Testament is that over and over again, God uses what to us looks like trouble, trials, uh, adversity, and the very things that would crush people, destroy people, God uses those things to grow his people and to transform his people and to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And one of the ways he does that is through difficult relationships. And, and we, we can look at them in a wrong way and then we can look at them in a right way, but he uses difficult relationships. If I resist what God is wanting to, me to learn, if I resist what God is teaching me through a difficult relationship, I'm not going to learn anything. If I don't learn anything, I'm not going to change. And if I don't change, I'm never going to become like Jesus. And so every one of those relationships, God has something for you in that relationship. So, um, so today I want to encourage you to look at the difficult relationships in your life from an entirely different perspective, from his perspective. And, and I want you to explore that with me. Um, there was a revivalist years ago. His name was Manly Beasley. He was a precious man of God. He used to talk about these kinds of relationships. And he had a name for these people. Okay? He called them heavenly sandpaper. Does that make sense? Heavenly sandpaper. And, and what God does when he brings heavenly sandpaper in your life, he does it to change you. You think it's about them, but he does it to change you. In our lives, all of our lives, we've got, we've got areas of our life where there's sharp corners. You know, things that are kind of rough and pointed. And when he brings heavenly sandpaper into our lives, he rubs those rough edges away. You know, you talk about people who rub you the wrong way. The truth is they're probably rubbing you the right way, uh, depending on how you respond to what's happening. And so God brings heavenly sandpaper into our lives, and we'll refer to that again as we go along. So in James chapter 3, the text that we're going to read today in verse 13, James chapter 3 is, the whole book is a book of wisdom, but in this particular passage, he is talking to us about this very thing, wisdom for our worst relationships. And so look at verse 13, if you will, and you can follow along with me on the screen. Who is wise and understanding among you? If you're reading this letter to the church and, uh, from James, and you're a 
Bible student, you know a lot about the Bible, and they ask the question, who is wise and understanding among you? I mean, there's just a little bit of part of probably most of us that says, well, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, that's me. Wise, understanding, that's me. And then he, he comes at, and we all, by the way, we all have a tendency to do that. We, we learn something of truth, we learn something in the Bible, and we think we know it. And in fact, we, we haven't yet imbibed on it the way the Lord wants to, to make it part of us. So anyway, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom now, suddenly, is not something that you know. It's not being the smartest guy or gal in the room. Wisdom is not about your intellect. Wisdom is what you bring to a relationship. Wisdom is something that you do. And so you can know a lot about the Bible. You can be a great teacher of the Bible and not be wise, James is saying. Uh, Verse 14, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. What's he saying? He's saying, look, you may think you're wise, but what's coming out of you in these difficult relationships? Selfishness, envy, and, and, if, and what he's saying is if I respond to the difficult person in my life with what comes naturally, drawing on earthly wisdom, pulling a Rambo on them or something, I mean, if I respond naturally, a couple things are going to happen, he's saying. Uh, one thing is, is that it's always going to be the wrong thing. I'm typically going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to do the wrong thing. And the other thing is it's never going to get better. So if I, if I am partaking of earthly wisdom and, and I do what comes naturally, I'm going to have a terrible result. So now we come to verse 17, and, and our study is really going to focus on this verse. But the wisdom that is from above, you see the source is different. It's not earthly. The wisdom that is from above is first, and here are the qualities, pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You kind of notice the heavenly focus of this thing. You know, when you and I have a problem with somebody, our natural reaction is to think, they got a problem. Uh, They have a challenge in their life. Uh, They have a need in their life. And it's interesting, as James is talking to you and me this morning, what he's saying is, no, it's not about them, is it? It's about me. It's about me. You see, I can't control what somebody else does or says. And I'm not responsible for their behavior or what they do or what they don't do. And neither are you when, when you're in that kind of relationship. You're not responsible for the other person. What you are responsible for, and the only thing you can change, is you. And James says this wisdom comes from above. And if you, if you have this wisdom that God is talking about and what James is discussing to us, if you have this, when I get this heavenly wisdom, 
then God is teaching me what to say, what to do. He's teaching me, and I'm becoming a different kind of person in at least six areas. Now, about halfway through these, I stopped in the last hour and explained what I'm about to tell you up front. Uh, When you're having a difficult relationship with someone, I'm not suggesting that God has six curriculum running simultaneously in your life. That God has six things he's wanting you to learn with every difficult relationship. Not suggesting that, but I am suggesting he is teaching you something. And there's something you can learn and take away from every difficult relationship that you have in your life. And so what are they? Through my worst relationships, God is teaching me first to speak and act like Jesus. I mean, that's first, to speak and act like Jesus. He uses the word pure to describe this wisdom that we should be applying to relationships, pure. The word pure means without fault, uh, without flaw, without filth. And, um, and it's describing Jesus. It really is. This is who he is. You know, it didn't matter what they threw at him. They could accuse him of things. They could ridicule him. They could question his parentage. I mean, very insulting things. They could do all kinds of things to Jesus. And he never threw anything back at them. You ever notice that in the text? Never does that. Why does Jesus never react to the adversaries or the difficult people in his life? Why doesn't he do that? Because when somebody does something to you and you react, you are, you are letting them control you. If they're down in a mud pit and they're slinging mud at you, you're going to have to get in the mud pit with them to sling mud back. If they're wrong in what they're doing to you and you know it's wrong and you know you shouldn't treat somebody that way, if you start reacting to them and you're saying bad things about them and you're attacking them and you're, you're responding with kind to whatever they're doing, then you're just as wrong as they are and you're no longer pure. And he says the, relate, the wisdom that you and I bring to relationships should be the purity, the kind of purity of Jesus. No flaws. There's another way. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, Now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. When we die, we go to be with him, but we know that when he is revealed, when he comes again, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him, if I know one day I'm going to stand before Jesus, everyone who has this hope, this expectation in them, it says he purifies himself just as he is pure. And so when I'm encountering stuff in the world, whatever it is, adversaries, difficult people, people who rub you the wrong way, heavenly sandpaper. When I encounter these individuals, I want to take the high road. I want to do what Jesus is calling me to do in that relationship and not choose a different path. So when that special someone attacks you and that heavenly sandpaper comes into your life, God is saying to you and me, I've got something for you to learn. I don't want you to do what comes naturally. I want you to do what comes supernaturally. I want you to let Jesus come out. If you know Jesus, he lives in you, I want Jesus to come out when these other things are coming at you. So that's one thing he may be teaching you. There's a second thing. Through my worst relationships, God is teaching me to lower my emotional thermostat. To lower my emotional thermostat. The word he uses is peaceable. Peaceable. Um, The word peaceable there, there are a couple ideas bound up in it. Uh, The word peaceful, 
first describes someone who prefers peace as opposed to conflict or battle or war. Prefers peace. You know anybody who likes to fight? You know anybody who likes to fight? I mean, they get off on conflict. That's their thing. I mean, you don't have to look very far in social media to see people who like to fight. You don't have to look very far in the world to see people who thrive on conflict. And he's saying, no, that when the wisdom from above is is what you're responding to, what God is teaching you, he's teaching you, no, you don't want to prefer that. You want to prefer peace. I'll tell you something else it means, to be peaceable. It means that when you come into a situation, you don't escalate it. You bring peace to the situation. And in that sense, you're turning down the thermostat on your own emotions. Um, you ever have anybody that just pushes all your buttons? You know? And usually they're people close to you. Because they know you the best. And they know what they can say that really is going to push your button. They do. And, and what God wants to do with you is create such a relationship between you and the Lord Jesus that, in a sense, your buttons become harder and harder to find. In fact, when someone pushes your button, you ought to just stop right there and say, thank you, Lord. Seriously. I just discovered something I need to talk to Jesus about that I need to give to the Lord. He wants you to become buttonless, buttonless. In uh, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3, the Bible says, keeping away from strife is an honor for a man. It's glorious when a guy stays away from fighting. It is glorious. It's remarkable. It's amazing. And then he says, but any fool will quarrel. I mean, that's not hard. There's nothing difficult about you know, fussing and fighting, but it's remarkable when someone is peaceable. So when it would be easier to go nuclear, God has the sandpaper situation, and it's really rubbing you the wrong way and pushing all your buttons. When it's easier to go nuclear, God says, I want you to bring peace to this relationship. I can't control what that person's doing, but I want you to bring peace to that relationship. There's a third thing, third lesson. Through my worst relationships, God is teaching me to consider the feelings of others by controlling my own. To consider the feelings of others by controlling my own. He uses the word gentle in the text. This is the wisdom from above that we bring to relationships, he says. If you're really wise, you're a gentle person. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, the apostle Paul says it this way, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. He's present. He sees what you're doing. He sees what you're saying. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. What does it mean to be gentle? Well, on one hand, it means to be careful, surely, with the feelings of others. Uh, To be, in one sense, harmless when it comes to other people's feelings. Uh, Not to throw out threats, you know, I'm going to get you, that kind of thing. But to be considerate of their feelings. On the other hand, it means that I resist the temptation to express my own feelings, to say what I really think. Boy, if I could just say what I, you know. The person who is gentle is considering feelings and is not expressing necessarily their own, just saying whatever they want to, rolling over people, using threats. To be gentle means that. There are three big mistakes we tend to make in relationships um, that involve feelings. One is ignoring feelings, ignoring feelings. 
you have that situation when someone is talking to you, maybe you're a little upset and you're kind of talking back and forth, and you hear their words and you react to their words, but you don't realize that there are feelings behind those words and you're not, you're not at all paying attention to those. And, and so you ignore their feelings. And uh, gosh, men, if there's anything that we need to learn, you know, as husbands, is not to ignore the feelings of our spouse. Uh, they may say something and, you know, it pushes buttons and we may want to react to their words, but there are feelings that are there. And uh, we need to not ignore feelings. I'll tell you something else we do that creates conflict is we dismiss feelings. We just dismiss them. Because I don't feel what you're feeling, I don't pay attention to it. And, and you say, well, what is that? What does that mean? It happens all the time. I'm cold. No, you're not. You ever have that conversation with someone? I'm cold. No, you're not. I, um, I feel ugly. Well, that's ridiculous. Uh, I'm afraid. Well, you shouldn't be. And we just dismiss what people are feeling because I can't relate to it. A third thing we do is we abuse feelings. Abusing feelings is not when our buttons are being pushed. Abusing feelings is when we push other people's buttons. And we tend to do that in several ways. Proverbs 15 verse 1 gives an illustration of it. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so we are not to abuse people's feelings and stir up that kind of anger. And there's some examples I've, I've jotted down. One is comparing people. That sets people off. You say, what do you mean? Well, I wish you were more like so-and-so. You know, you ever use that one? Or um, you're just like your mother. I wouldn't do that. Comparing, comparing. A soft answer turns away wrath and a wrong answer can create wrath. Uh, criticizing is another one that we do that hurts people, sets them off. Criticizing is where we're finding fault. We're picking, 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 and all we do is just pick at people. And uh, you pick at a friend, you pick at somebody else. You're always criticizing, always finding fault. Can I just give you a clue, give you a secret here? No one here this morning is perfect. No one here is perfect. And if you want to find fault with somebody, you're going to be successful. Because everybody here has them. Everybody here has them. But if I'm constantly picking at it, usually I'm conscious of my faults. You know, and I don't feel real great about them. You come along, you start picking at those faults, start picking at those faults. How do you think someone's going to want to react? <laughs> you know? And so that can, that is uh, abusing feelings. There's a third way we do it is contradicting people. Now, this didn't happen and when, but I see it happen from time to time over the years, a long time ago maybe. Go out to dinner with another couple. Guy's trying to tell a story. He's trying to tell a story about something that happened. About every other sentence, his wife says, no, it didn't happen that way. You know what I'm talking about? Don't look at anybody. <laughs> I mean, just over and over again, no, it didn't happen that way. He tries to tell some more. No, 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 it didn't happen. That's irritating. And I'm going, oh, oh, gosh, lady, give him a break. So we make mistakes in relationships like that. And we are called to consider the feelings of other people. And uh, to take care, to be harmless, and not to roll over them. The sandpaper person comes to you and me, and God has something he wants to teach us with someone that we don't want to be gentle with. And he's calling us to be harmless towards them, to be considerate of them. There's a fourth lesson that God may be involved in. Through my worst relationships, God is teaching me to listen carefully to what someone else is saying. He uses the phrase, willing to yield. That's three words in English. It's one word in the, in the original text. 
willing to yield. Now, at first glance, when you and I hear willing to yield, it sounds like, okay, someone comes and doesn't matter what they want to do, doesn't matter what they want to, you know, you know, what direction, we've got a decision to make, they'll come and they want to do this and they want to do that. And you're just saying, okay, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do. That's not what the word means. Willing to yield means that you're ready to listen when someone comes to talk to you. That you're ready to listen. Entreatable. Approachable on your part. As far as it depends on you, you're ready to talk. You're willing to listen. You're willing to take suggestions. You're willing to receive constructive thoughts. And, um, and as opposed to being a person who just says, talk to the hand, and you, you have no response to someone when they have something to say to you, you just, you just shut down, no listening, no reasoning. This is what James meant earlier in the book, in James 1, verse 19, when he says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So when I'm exploding, I'm not doing anything for the Lord. I'm only making matters worse. But, but in contrast, when something is happening, someone's saying something, someone's communicating something, swift to hear, swift to hear, slow to speak, not thinking of the next thing I'm going to argue, not thinking of the next thing I'm going to say, but really listening to them, willing to yield. So when the heavenly sandpaper comes, that person, that person who always has a better idea, always, always, whatever it is you've worked on, whatever you, they always got a better idea, and they're always um, giving it to you, whether you ask for it or not. God is saying, I want you to be ready to listen when they come. The wisdom that comes from above, when someone's taking the time to come talk to you, be ready to listen. There's a fifth thing here, fifth lesson. Through my worst relationships, God is teaching me to give grace when someone else is wrong. Give grace when someone else is wrong, full of mercy and good fruits, he says. You know, when you're having a conflict with somebody and that person gets in trouble, some kind of calamity, you know, happens to them, something difficult happens, they get in trouble, they mess up, the, the roof falls in on them, something like that. What do you do? How do you respond to that? Do you do like a Snoopy dance? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, is that what you do? Do you, um, do you like call them up and say, hey, I heard you had your little problem? You know, do you do that? Do you text your friends and say, whoa, let me tell you what just happened to so-and-so. How do you respond to that scenario? God calls us to love our enemies. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9, it says, he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Who is the wisest person in the universe? Who's the wisest person in the universe? Anybody? Well, God is, right? God's the wisest person in the universe. Who gives the most mercy in the universe? Well, God does. And he is the wisest and the most merciful. And he calls you and I to be wise and merciful as well. I don't deserve the next breath I'm going to take. You and I don't deserve anything of the goodness of God, and yet he gives it to us. And so it's not a question whether that person deserves it or not. It's a question of who you are, not of who they are. And so he calls us to give grace. When you see that person 
who just rubs you the wrong way and you know they've done things behind your back and they've done all those kinds of things. How do you respond to them? When you see them, you, you see them in the aisle at church, you see them in the hallway, you see them in the grocery store. How do you respond to that person? Do you move towards them or do you go, you know, do you hide? How do you respond? Uh, this is not hypothetical. I know sometimes this is really is what you experience. Um, a friend of mine sent me a note just last week, and he's been in, uh, just attacked by another guy, and um, it's not been good. It's been going on for a while. And um, he was in the grocery store, and he saw this person, and he moved towards them to extend his hand to them. And he sent me this note. He said, I just saw, and this is Joe. I'm making that up. He said, I just saw Joe in the store, spoke to him, and he walked right past me, didn't slow down, and barely would speak. I thought, wow. And they're both pastors. God has called you and I to move towards, to give grace he says, to be full of mercy and good fruits. You can look at other passages of Scripture where it says, bless and don't curse, to bless your enemy. And, and so wisdom applied to that relationship is not to escalate it, but to always be ready to extend a hand. So God's standing away, isn't he? I don't know about you, but boy, I feel it in my life all the time. Sand, sand, rough edges, corners. And when he brings that heavenly sandpaper into your life, when that person messes up, God's saying, I want you to give grace. I want you to be like me, son. I want you to be like my daughter. I want you to give grace. Well, the last thing, number six, through my worst relationships, God is teaching me to refuse to take sides or play games. And uh, in the text, he says, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Both of those words are words where it says to do something, and then it says not. So it's a negation of that. He says without partiality, without hypocrisy. Partiality, not. Hypocrisy, not. And so these two words, what is he saying? He's saying the first one, partiality, no discrimination, no difference. No matter if I like them, don't like them. Uh, whether I'm close to him, not close to him, whether I'm related to him or not related to him, that I bring this wisdom from above to that relationship in the same way, every single one of those relationships. No difference. No difference. And then he says without hypocrisy, and that word, the ancient meaning of that word, uh, would describe actors in the Greek theater and people who put on a false face and were not real, they were acting. And he says, I don't want you to be like that. I don't want you to be acting. I want you to be genuine. I want you to be the real deal when you enter into your worst relationships. Uh, you ever had a pair of friends who were fighting? And um, invariably it gets hot, you know, just gets higher and higher. And they're going at it, you know. And it gets to a certain level, uh, the level, the I win, you lose level. You know what I'm talking about? I win, you lose. There's no other way this is going to end. I win, you lose. And these two friends are fighting, fighting, fighting. And because they're your friends, they're talking to you about the other person. They come to you and they say, Dustin, man, oh, so-and-so, they were really a jerk today. 
and they're just telling you all about so-and-so. And then the jerk comes, or the other person comes to you. And, and they're talking to you about the other person. They say, they're such an idiot. They just, you know, and they rip them up and they tear them up. And, you know, and, they, and then what happens when, they're, when their disagreement with one another gets to a certain level, then they look at you and they say, whose side are you on? You know? And they expect you to take sides. They expect you to feel the animosity that they feel toward that person. And you know what the God is saying to us? When you bring wisdom to this difficult relationship, what's he saying? Don't be any different to either one. Don't be different to either one. I can't tell you how many times I've had situations where they say, um, you're having that event, so-and-so going to be there? I'm not coming. You can't do that. When you bring the wisdom that's from above and you apply it to that difficult relationship, you can't be any different to one or the other. Let me give you another scenario of what happens. This is even worse. It's when you have people who are warring around you and they try to make you their mouthpiece to the other person. They come to you and they say, um, you know, boy, if so-and-so knew what I really thought of them or, or man, I'd like to get a message to them and in so many words, they're, they're trying to use you to communicate to that other person or to get back at that other person. Um, can I just say this, just step aside for a moment. This is probably, I see this most often when, when parents of children divorce and, and the child has a, a weekend with one parent and then a week with another parent, you know what I'm talking about? And that the parents are not getting along and if they aren't wise, you know, if they're not listening to the Lord, if, uh, you know, there's, there's good Christ-centered programs, divorce care, and others that we can offer and that we can do to help people. But the kid's there and the mother's saying, you know, your dad is such a dope, you know. And they go back and they tell dad, you know, dad, mom says you're a dope. And he says, well, your mom, she just, uh, you know, whatever. And it goes on and on. And what is that? You know, the technical word for that is triangulation. You know, you put put somebody in this defective relationship and and we're not supposed to do that without partiality without hypocrisy and that's not that's not easy to do but this is something that comes from the lord and something he calls you and me to god's saying don't do it i want you to stay connected to each person i don't want you to take sides i want you to be the real deal and you say well pastor that is impossible if you knew the person that is the person i'm thinking of right now you would say you would agree with me oh i don't think even god can help that person you know but i would tell you this he can help you if you know jesus christ if you've come to a place where he is real to you not an idea in an old book but he's a person a living presence in your life then because he is in your life, because you have trusted Christ, you have said, forgive me, and you knew what you were responsible for, you knew your guilt, and you saw Jesus on the cross dying for your sins and God giving you mercy if you would trust Christ for forgiveness. When that becomes real to you and what, who he is becomes real and you have a relationship with him where he teaches you and he shows you things and he, he guides you through these difficult relationships, I want you to know that when you have Christ, you have everything you need, all the wisdom you need, all of the power that you need to please him and to grow in this experience of having a relationship with a difficult person. 
Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says, relating to Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom. So when you have Christ, it's there. This is there. The wisdom from above. What's the Lord teaching you? Here's the bottom line. If Jesus lives in me, I already have the wisdom I need for every relationship. If Jesus lives in me, I already have all the wisdom I need for every relationship. This morning, we're talking about difficult relationships. This is just the beginning. Wow, but I wonder who came to mind as we walk through this today. I wonder if there was a particular lesson or curriculum that you believe that God has for you right now. As you read through what James was teaching us, did one of those just particularly stand out and said, you know, wow, I think I just now understand why I'm having this problem and where God wants me to go with it next. Perhaps you're thinking about a relationship from long ago, and that person may be alive, they may not be alive, but it was unresolved, never dealt with. Maybe to this day, you, you're in wind. Maybe something from grade school. Good grief, I've heard of those things. Something that happened years ago when you were kids, and you still can't talk to that person. You still can't deal with that person. And maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, don't leave it that way. Don't leave it that way. I want to take you to new places. I want you to grow to be like Jesus. I want to change your life, but, but you're stuck. And as long as you're stuck in this place with this person, you can't go forward. And so I want to encourage you today as we worship the Lord, we're going to have a time of response. We're going to stand and sing, and that may be what you need to do. You just may need to just say to the Lord, praise and praise and praise him for who he is. You may need to just bow your head while the others are singing and just talk to the Lord and just say, Father, I, I realize I got this difficult relationship and that I understand now that they may not be the problem. That the only thing that I can deal with is me. And so, Lord, today I want to get back on track with you and whatever you want me to do differently and however you want me to do it, I'm ready. I'm ready. And you just say yes to the Lord, to what he's saying. Maybe you're still trying to sort things out and you're still confused and all that earthly wisdom, you know, the Rambo responses, you're just filled up with that and you want to go a different direction. Uh, I want to encourage you today to take advantage. The pastors and I are down here during this response time. You can come to one of us and just say, hey, pray for me. You don't have to give us all the details. You, you don't have to go into all that. You just say, hey, pray for me. I've got a, a relationship here and, and um, I just need someone to pray for me that God will, this wisdom that's in Christ, I need, I need it. I need it. And you're asking the Lord for guidance. And you're asking him for help. And we'll be glad to pray with you. Maybe there's someone nearby. You may even had a tiff on the way to church. I don't know. And you just need to take them by the hand and say, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me um, for what I said this week or what I said last week or what I said this morning? And maybe that's what you need to do. But could we use this time, you know, the Holy Spirit comes. What a privilege we have to be sensitive and responsive to him. And as he is leading us in these moments, how will you respond? If you've never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you need to be saved, friend. Uh, your sin is killing you, 
and your sin will certainly send you to hell, separate you from God for eternity. The Bible says Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross to save you from the power and the consequences of your own sin. That's true for every person here. But that is not a gift that we get automatically. That gift is received by faith when I put my trust in Jesus and say, look, I'm tired of living my life, ruling my own life, and Lord, I'm ready to put my trust in you. I'm getting off of the throne, out of the driver's seat, and I'm putting you in charge. And if you're ready to do that today, he will save you. He will send his spirit to live in you. He will change you forever if you'll put your trust in him. I invite you to come. Maybe you just have a prayer burden and you don't really want to talk to one of us. You just want to pray down here at the front. Sometimes that is helpful as he leads. Will you say yes? Pray with me. Father, thank you for the way your word speaks to us in such powerful and practical ways. And Lord, each of us, we can't help but think of the relationships we have that are difficult and and Father, your Holy Spirit, right now, we invite him to come and, and give us direction. Enable us, Lord, to stop and uh, get off the treadmill of reacting the same way to the same people over and over again. Set us free by the truth of your word and the presence and the gentle conviction and power of your Holy Spirit. And for that dear one today who is especially struggling and they're reaching out to you, uh, because you have promised in your word that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I pray that you would hear their cry and that every person here that's struggling would leave here encouraged and hopeful because you are God and you're on your throne today. Fathers, we respond to you. May the response of our hearts bring you pleasure. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.